little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by my co host Sean Mullen from Swift Current and also the uh, radio uh, color analyst for the Calgary Flames, Peter Labardius. How's uh, how's this tournament treating you so far, Pete? It's uh, my favorite annual event of the year. I will be, hopefully, travel that works out, will be attending the final two days with my son and uh, very much looking forward to going to Halifax again. have been many times and hard to believe, guys, that... Uh, I covered that last event in Halifax in 2003 from start to finish and can't really believe that was 20 exceedingly difficult to ask you to do this but if you can narrow down your junior world junior memories is there one or two that really stand out for you um it's really difficult now i would i would put it probably category um there are there are a few that come to mind. Obviously, it's it was an unbelievable treat to watch the 2005 team in Grand Forks and follow that team all the way through their camp and went to Gimli, Manitoba, um, where believe it or not, to this day I saw the greatest hockey practice I've ever seen which was a Brent Sutter-led battles drill practice amongst that great group of players that was going to have a lot of guys go to the Hall of Fame. Um, one of my all-time favorite games was Canada's win over the Russians after the brawl in Piastani in Moscow when they won 3-2 back in 1988. And... As far as another memory, Sean, was the 1999 tournament in Winnipeg. Canada lost to the Russians in overtime and on an Artem Chubarov goal in the extra period against Russia. But I will never forget at the Winnipeg Arena the five-and-a-half-minute standing ovation that the Canadian kids got. Um, 
when they came out onto the ice, it still makes me feel fairly emotional when I think about it. Um, Brian Allen, former NHL defenseman, tied that game at two for Canada with 10 minutes left. And I'm not sure if the Winnipeg Arena would have survived the Canadian overtime goal. So I have so many, and and I, I uh, you know, really could bore both of you with memories going all the way back to 1978 in Montreal and 1982 when Canada's program of excellence started. So, yeah, maybe someday I'll write a World Junior Canadian book. I don't know, Chad, you're not going to read it, but um, somebody will. Well, I mean, you've, a couple guys you mentioned, I saw both of them play in Kansas City in the minors, so, I mean, it kind of comes around, you know, full full circle, you know. I, I, I've only been watching the tournament since since 2010, so I don't uh, I don't have near that depth, so i, I got to apologize there. So. Well, you haven't seen many bad finals. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's uh, that's that's a, that's a pretty good point there. I mean, you know, I saw that I've, I've been around for the the, the Swedish, you know, uh, streak in round robin. I mean, there's been some interesting Russians get kicked off the plane a couple times. I mean, it's uh, it's been a good run. It has been. In fact, there really has barely been a poor final since 2010 they've all been incredibly memorable. In fact, um, one of the finals in recent memory with limited drama might be the 21 tournament in the bubble in Edmonton when the Americans, you know, were clearly better on gold medal night and won that game two to nothing. And you've seen the evolution, certainly, in following the tournament as long as you have. I mean, there was certainly a time, especially in... But now we've seen, frankly, I mean, the rest of the world catch up. And what's your take on sort of the timeline of that evolution? How, how have you seen it progress? Well, I've seen it progress on in a, in a massive way, and I think everybody else who has any interest has too. Um, you know, when you go all the way back to 70s and early 80s, it was a lot of certainly the Russians and then, and then Canada. You know, the Czechs won it two years in a row going back to... 99 and, and two, or 2000 and 2001. You know, Canada had those two great runs. One, um, you know, that you referred to in, in the 90s from 91 through, um, or from 94 through 98, or not 98, but through 97. Um, you know, and then the run for Canada in in the 2000s too when they won five in a row but you know as I threw out to Chad uh, you know the, the Finns have won three times the Americans have won many times in the last 12 years um, you know Canada's mixed in there there's been some excellent performances by other countries you know and, and not even necessarily Sean to win but I think about you know Denmark's run of being in the tournament three, four years in a row with people like 
you know, Ehlers and Bjorkstrand and Alexander True and, um, you know, that group. And then, you know, it's been fantastic. You know, we got a good group of, of Germans with Cider and Stutzla and J.J. Paterka. And, you know, so I, I love it. I, it. I enjoy it probably even more now than I ever have because of the competitive nature. And my biggest beef with the whole thing is in our country, you know, we're and we've done it again, you're going to win a game or two, probably by significant margins. But I make a pretty strong argument that in the last, you know, 12 years, when it gets either to the final or the final four, it's been pretty hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at the, the game tonight, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're taping this just after the uh, the Canada-Austria game, and it's, you, you kind of, you, you piss everybody off because, yeah, it was 10 nothing, and, you know, they're scoring goals like breaking sticks, but also, I mean, you know, it took them, you know, 10 minutes into the game before they got their third, fourth shot on goal, so they started slow and, and, and looked sluggish, but at the same time, it's lopsided at the end. So you see, you know, it's it's a game that that uh, that everybody can can find something to bellyache about at the end of it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, in this country, in regards to its importance and what the event means in Canada, you know, it's especially in the social media era, Chad. It's never good enough for anyone, and you know, and and you have to, I think. When you watch this event, you have to watch really, really closely, and you have to generally assess the good teams when they play one another. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this event. You know, it's I don't remember the last time there were three significant upsets in the first three days of this tournament in the round robin. That just doesn't happen. And that's a testament that you know, a number of the other countries and what they've been able to do, what Slovakia did against the U- the U.S., what Switzerland did opening day against the Finns, the Czechs who, to me, guys, in this event, they're, I would not be shocked if they won this event. I really wouldn't. They're big, they're strong, they have 15 or 16 returnees, they have a full defense worth of guys back from, you know, a really solid performance in the summer in Tri-City Americans goaltender, Tomas Sahanek. They might have as good a goaltender as there is in the event. That's, that's a hard team to play against. And uh, you do not want to take that group lightly, as I think Canada did to a certain extent. And... Who knows where this tournament is going to go from the quarterfinals on. I mean, nothing will shock me this year. Well, and how big is that? Because we saw initially when the Czechs, Czech, Czechia, I guess now, but became their own country in the 90s, they had Hasek and uh, Jager, and they had some great success. But both um, Czechia and Slovakia have had some leaner years. So to have those big upsets and something to build on and teams that are 
you know, as talented as they've been in a number of years, really important to hockey in that area of the world, I think, to have uh, some success at the junior level and, and build it back up. Absolutely. And imagine, guys, if they were still together. That would be pretty phenomenal, and they would absolutely be, you know, a contender year mm-hmm. in and year out at every single level of the sport. It has become difficult, you know, I think about, you know, two events for Slovakia. You know, one was 1999 in Brandon and Winnipeg, where they won a bronze medal. And, you know, they also won a bronze medal beating Sweden in Toronto in 2015. A lot of it for Slovakia, you know, riding some incredibly hot goalies. And as for Czechia, they haven't won a medal in this tournament since Peter Varana scored in overtime in, in Grand Forks in the bronze medal game in 2005. So it's been a long time, and, you know, the more the more good countries that are good teams and in the hunt, it just it makes it a better event. Yeah, it's a... You know, an aside, but, you know, we just had the, the World Cup, and you look at, you know, the Germans have won it more than anybody else, and I had to go back and look and see which which Germany it was for, you know, 70 years there or whatever. I won 70, but, you know, however long the, the, the Iron Curtain was up for. And yeah, you think about if you could have combined those two squads, what what you would have had. You know, not, not that this is a World Cup p- podcast, but, you know, to, to your point, Peter, I mean, yeah, if you could – you could assemble, you know, both, uh, you know, the, the, the best of, of both countries, you'd really have some. Yeah, you, you absolutely would. But the development of the game, you know, in, in several countries has, you know, most years made this for sure an excellent five-team event. And what's really unfortunate it's the only way to go about your business with the nonsense you know happening with Russia but trust me gents the Russians would have had a phenomenal entry into this tournament and that was very very evident even if you go back to one of their last international type competitions which you know featured a terrific team that won the silver medal and lost to Canada in the final of the 21 U18 tournament in Texas. Um, so if they were around, I might make an argument just how things have played themselves out that you know this version of the World Junior Championship might be the most competitive one ever. Now that said, uh, I know I've heard some talk this week out of Sweden in particular. I think it was Matt Sundin who was quoted as saying that the lack of best-on-best play at the pro level um, has had an impact on the interest in the sport in Sweden. And it's been a long time since we've seen it, you know, at the highest level. Do you fear at all that if we don't get back to that soon, that it could have an effect on the development of the game at the, the youngest level and the interest of the game for the you know the next generation? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And I think as hockey fans, we've all been robbed of it at a time where there's, you know, so many countries who have 
superstars in the National Hockey League. Um, you know, the Americans have never been better. Uh, you know, what the Finns have started to do, the Swedes. It, listen, I'm my number one thing in sports, period, is international competition. I love it. There's nothing that I'm more passionate about, and not just hockey, a lot of team sports. So I, I think as hockey fans, we've been robbed. I do think it takes away from development in countries. And you know what, Sean, probably in some respects in some European countries, I think it's even more detrimental because, you know, international competition, whether it's the Olympics or world championships, and, you know, obviously the last time we truly saw a best-on-best tournament was all the way back to 2014 in Sochi. So that's just, that's too long. And who knows when the next one's coming. But it's not a priority for the NHL. They really don't care. Um, the players care immensely. Hockey fans would die to see it, but the truth of the matter is a lot of NHL owners see it as taking away from, you know, their season, which which I get it. I get all of it. You know, I, I live in it and work in it and have for a long time. But I still think what gets lost is it's great for the development of the game. And in all those different places. I mean, has there ever been a bigger hockey event for the United States of America than what happened in Lake Placid? Where would that sport be without that moment in that country? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And they and they still to this day think that they can build international teams with a bunch of plumbers and just, you know, hope for a puncher's chance which we're seeing again with this the construction of the american team in this tournament but uh you know maybe we'll get into that a little bit later but i mean to your to your point pete i mean you know it's like i i was listening to um you know the the you know what they do in, here in the states is they give us the tsn feed and then put uh, a couple guys in the nhl network over top of it so they're calling it off a monitor like you know, I know that a lot of guys don't like calling the game off the monitor, but that's, you know, you do that sometimes. And, you know, they were mentioned, you know, Nito Nieder, Niederreiter in the, in the 2010 um, tournament and what the, he did for, for Switzerland, and, and they, haven't, they haven't been relegated since. So, I mean, one player in one particular case can elevate a country to the big boy tournament and then they can find a way to stay there. Or, you know, you, you mentioned Stutzla or uh, Peter Morazic or, or some of these guys that, you know, can kind of, you, you see what, what you know, one outstanding performance can do for, for, for an entire nation and for, you know, generations of, of junior hockey players. Yeah, it, it matters. It matters immensely. I mean, you know, how many of the current day kids, you know, especially in Canada, still think about Jordan Eberle and what happened there in 2009. Um, you know, Chad, it's always hard for me to have a, a complete understanding, although I think 
you know, the, the U.S. National Development Program has done incredible things for hockey in the United States. I, I don't think, in all sincerity, as much as it pains me to say it, I, I don't think we're far away from, you know, the United States truly becoming the number one hockey country on the planet. I don't. The population is massive. Um, players are coming from far more places than they ever have. The development program has turned out elite player after elite player. And so, you know, I as a Canadian, we may have to start doing some things differently to compete. And in Canada, where the game has never been more of an elitist game... I always have sensed that it's very much that way in the United States. But Canada, you know, Sean, I don't know what you think. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we've had a lot of conversations over the years. But I worry about it because we don't have the population to support it. Well, at, at the financial reality that exists now, for sure. And, and it's, you know, it's a conversation we could have a million times and not come up with a, a real good answer because invariably you can't stop somebody from offering a service and somebody from from paying for it there's no such thing as no. a, as a salary cap for um, you know what services are going to be offered at what price to to young hockey players but it's certainly you know the thing that m- makes some of these players uh, such hockey machines by the time they get there also leaves some others behind um, and I don't know what the answer is because you're certainly not going to see much of a. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see much support for subsidizing the sport. That's for sure. No, you certainly aren't. Yeah, I mean the the days of you know Joey Mullen, you know learning to play on quad you know, skates with steel wheels in in, in Hell's Kitchen. Ob- uh, soccer being an obvious one, basketball has had tremendous growth in our country. Yeah, you know, so. How, how does hockey compete uh, at the price point it's at? It's, it's a very good question. And I I don't know if we're, you know, I'm certainly no closer to an answer to it. No, neither am I. But I, I know what always fixes things, and that is, you know, people like to win. And if what we're talking about start like Canada's always going to produce elite players, I don't think there's any question about that, but you know, it's we're turning away a lot of potential kids because they can't afford it, and I don't have the answer either, and I, and I really don't see it changing. Yeah, but at the same time, Peter, it's a it's 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 a target-rich environment for a country like ours, but. You know, I mean, Portland is, you know, similar in size to Calgary and, and Edmonton. And, you know, those cities make, you know, hockey players every day of the week. But, you know, we have the, we have less rinks than Sean has a Swift Current, you know, and, and that size yeah. of town. And, and, and so it's we, we haven't figured out a way to capitalize on that either, even though, you know, we have, you know, the, the potential athletes. I don't I don't I, we still don't know how to get sticks in our hands. Well, and I mean, the one thing about the United States that's never going away is 
you know, the nature of the sport again in your country, A, there's not as many places, and B, it's it's very foreign to a lot of places in the U.S. Although, you know, as I said, whether it's, you know, the Pacific Northwest or more importantly California or the growth in Arizona and Ohio and Pittsburgh and, you know, Texas has really started to come a long way in terms of production, St. Louis, that area. So it's no longer in the country of the United States, you know, what used to basically be Minnesota, Michigan, and Massachusetts. Well, and like you said, I mean, it's just it's just sort of basic math. If, if there's more interest with a population that's 10 times the size, then the exposure to the, you know, the amount of people that would have the financial means to get into the sport at the highest level, it, it certainly puts them in a position to have uh, incredible growth. Um, although I suspect if we really start to see uh, a, a major decline in Canada, you know, a really significant one, then there's going to be a reevaluation here because I don't think it, it goes in that direction that people here are going to, to take it lightly. Well, they're not going to take it lightly at all. They never, they never do. The, the, the public has a lot of opinions especially people who don't spend one single cent in terms of helping to change some of the things they don't like, which will frustrate me. But that's, that's forget about hockey, that's not a hockey conversation. That's, that's the nature of, of the times. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, people are, are upset with Hockey Canada as an organization, and you know they're going through some things and you know hopefully we'll come out at the other end of this whatever that means and whenever that is and whatever it looks like but you know hopefully they will come out you know stronger and and regain the the trust of of the populace but you know a lot of people are really frustrated with uh you know trying to turn their back on 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 the the on ice product too which is really unfortunate but you know i mean everybody i mean it's a there's there's legit reasons to be to be frustrated with that with that organization at the moment. Now, as for this tournament itself, to turn you know, because again, you know, that's something we could easily discuss for hours and hours. At the same time, are we the people that have that conversation? No, probably not, um, and and not on this forum necessarily. But in discussing this year's tournament, you talk about it being as competitive as it's been in in recent years, especially given the lack of Russia being there. After the start Canada had, and the two games that they've had since, which really are tough to, to get much analysis out of because they weren't that competitive, do you have a feel for Team Canada right now at all? No. No. The, the feel that I have with this group is the power play has really driven a lot of their success. I haven't been overly pleased with what I've seen in the details of their game away from the puck. I think they're an incredibly talented group up front, but I have not liked their work, and I haven't liked their details. And I think there's a long way to go in terms of 
winning a gold medal. I, I truly came into this tournament, and I haven't really changed my mind. I think Canada and the United States are the two most talented teams. But who's going to play most like a team? And who's going to be able... You, you can talk about Connor Bedard all you want, and he is an incredible talent. And you can talk about this first-rounder and this first-rounder and this first-rounder. But the one thing that never changes is you better get some saves and you be, better be able to check elite-level people when it matters the most. Well, and and I need, to, I need to see more of that, certainly, from the Canadian group. And you would think, you know, Dennis Williams coming from where he comes from, with types of teams he's coached, that would be an area of expertise for him. Although I guess it's a very short-term situation. It is. But remember, when you have, you know, a lot of incredibly talented people, and you have three guys on this team, you know, coming back from the National Hockey League, chemistry matters. Um, you know... I'll be as frank as I can, and, and you're not going to find anybody that wants them to be successful at this event than me. But it's it's still a team sport, and it's, and it's not about individuals. And frankly, in this country, they were almost set up. You know, I was hearing, well, this might be the net best team we've had since 2005. What? Is this group going to give me about six or seven Hall of Famers? Multiple Stanley Cup champions? Multiple Olympic champions? Maybe. They got a long way to go. And they're already done in that discussion for me because that team was perfect and really barely had a challenge. We know that's not the truth with this group. Yeah, I mean, to, to, your, to your point, Peter, if, if my math is right, uh, the Canadians have scored twice as many power play goals as they have at even strength. Yeah, they have. Which, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, I mean, on the one hand, you got to take what's given to you, and you're, you know, theoretically, you're, you know, unless it's a puck over the glass or something. I mean, you're earning. Yeah, you're creating those situations. Yeah. You deserve credit for forcing people to take penalties, yes. Exactly. So you're, you're, you're creating your own luck at that, in that regard. But, and, you know, I mean, over a 10-day tournament, I mean, maybe the word sustainable shouldn't really apply, but. You know, and then you know on the on the TSN broadcast tonight, I was you know Gord was talking about, you know, sure Bedard's you know putting up these you know numbers we've never we've never seen before or haven't you know since you know Peter Forsberg and Wayne Gretzky and whatever, but you know who have they played so far? And you know, I mean Austria has yet to score in 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 this tournament, and they they have winless as as a nation, so. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens when we get down here more in the nitty gritty in the knockout round. But I mean, to you know, I, I will concur that it's it's kind of a hard read on this uh, this this Canadian club right now. So, are are we saying that 
They're the Team Canada Oilers. Rely on superstar talent, power play goals. Don't check enough. Don't get enough saves. I mean, is it like... <laughs> it, it, it seems like deja vu for me as a guy who watches a lot of Oilers games. You're going to know a lot about this team on New Year's Eve. Because they will face a very stiff challenge again in the Swedes. And you will see how they do again against a very competent opponent and chances are you may not be able to rely on what you get done on the power play and you're going to need to get some saves well let's be frank if you're counting on international officiating to be consistent for your success you're putting yourself in a real compromising position because it generally has not been. No, it's gotten better, I think, over the years. I mean, to me, my biggest beef with this whole event, and I've said it to many people, is that, you know, the kids are so good, it's too bad the officiating is such a level behind the play. Now, I do think there's been some real strides made in the international game. Um, but, you know, the other part of it is, I don't know, I haven't looked tonight yet at exactly what they're operating at, but in the in terms of sustainability, it's hard to operate at 60%. Yeah, <laughs> You mentioned all the talk about Bedard, uh, and and how the team has to learn how to play like a team. Even with the level of high, you know, high talent uh, players on this club, guys that are relied upon in every situation on their club teams, can there be a little too much focus and attention on one guy, and as a result, one line? Can there be a little too much deferring and and you know? Can that be a problem in trying to create a team when there's that much spotlight directed in one place? Yes. Absolutely there can. And absolutely, I think, even within the framework of this group, that might be a bit of an issue. It is a team. And you never know how a group of young, talented people are going to come together. Now, I didn't really think... And and you know what, Sean? I, I almost hate to have part of this conversation because, you know, I think this is a really, really good team. I just don't think they've played great yet. But how do I really judge it? They were not good in their only tough test. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They didn't necessarily respect their opponent the way they should. There's been a lot of outside noise about how great they are. They rolled in the pre-tournament games. How are they going to do? This is a really good team up front. Really good. I don't love the back end. 
even though there's lots of talent and ability there, and I'm not in love with the goaltending. So, do I think Canada's as good as any team in the tournament? Yeah, I do. In fact, I think they're the best team from top to bottom, but that doesn't really matter unless you unless you bring it all together. I didn't love the team in the summer, but they sure played great as a team. Is there a party that would have rather had some at least one tougher game in the next couple than to have had the disappointment of the Czech game and then a couple of, you know, blowouts that weren't going to be anything but right after that? You, you, you can you can never really deal better with that outside of this. You know, I would rather be in the American pool in some respects than the Canadian pool. Because there's no easy touches over there. I mean, Latvia may not win a game until relegation, but they're, 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 they're not an easy out. They played everybody hard. There's really no easy outs over there. So, there's not much you can do about it, Sean, really. You're, you're generally, you know, every year it changes because some teams have strong, stronger age groups than others. I mean, look at the United States. The United States does not have a particularly gifted 2003 age group, but their 04s are off the charts. That's why, you know, this American team, and it's an incredibly talented group. You know, it's it's a team loaded with 2004, 18-year-olds. It's just the way it goes. Next year, next year in Sweden, Canada and the U.S. will be the opposite. Because Canada's 04 group is okay, and the 05 group is outstanding. So I expect Canada to have a pretty young team next year. I mean, this uh, this American club is so talented that you could leave the top scorer in the Ontario League. You just leave them home. You don't even need them. Oh, they're a talented group. They're they're the most dangerous team in terms of what they can do on the rush. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Their defense is incredibly mobile. There's lots of good puck movers. Um, but again, Chad, somewhat like Canada's team, how are you going to defend when it's hard? Because this team, this team wants to get up on the rush and they want to play fast and they're really good at it but you know even in the game that they lost to the Slovaks I didn't uh, I didn't think their details were very good now they were very good today against the Swiss and what impressed me today about the Americans is they were very good in the attention to detail department Guys, it's, it, it has a chance to be phenomenal before it's all over. And it always really is, but 
I think Canada and the United States are the two best teams. That's what I am kind of thinking I might see, but the way the tournament's gone, they might have to play one another in a semifinal. And that's a very real possibility now. Canada can't win its group. Yeah. Who do you see? You talked about the, uh, the biggest challenge for both the Canadians and Americans as how well they play in terms of details, their back end, keeping the puck out of the net. And, you know, when the games get tough, there's going to be less and less room to operate. So who are the teams built for that? I mean, Sweden's only given up two goals so far. Finland's only given up five. Are they the ones that stand out to you as the ones that are built for those kinds of games? No, I think the Czechs. I think I think the Czechs are as well equipped to deal with those two countries as anybody. I'd feel very different about the Swedes, but without Elias Salomonson, Simon Edmondson, the first-round pick of Detroit, who opted not to play and stay in the American League, even though he was invited and another injury to another key defenseman by the name of Matthias Havilid, if those three guys were were involved in this event, Sweden might be the best team in the event. Because they got a pretty solid group of forwards. But again, I don't I don't love their defense after a and they and they've played pretty well. But I don't I don't love them either. There is no clear-cut group for me. There just isn't. And and maybe this will be the year that Sweden surprises everybody and wins the whole thing, which they never do, despite their round-robin record, which finally came to an end a couple of years ago. Was it was it 06, last time the Swedes won? So last time they won the tournament? Yeah, somewhere. No, there. they won the they won the tournament in 2012 in Calgary on Mika Zibanejad's overtime goal in a one nothing victory over the Russians in a game where Andre Makarov took over in the semifinal, the former Saskatoon Blade, from some guy by the name of Vasilevsky. <laughs> And Makarov was the reason that that game made it to overtime because I think the final save number, if memory serves me correct, is I think he stopped 47 of 48. And the Swedes won a game that they probably should have won going away, one to nothing in overtime. Now, when you look at Bedard, he's tied uh, Everly's record today, but he hasn't had kind of that, uh, I don't know, has he had that moment you know, that'll stand the test of time yet? I mean, where, where do you see him in comparison to some of the greats who've played in this tournament, and what does he need to accomplish to, you know, put himself among the absolute elite in your mind? One thing. Do you make a difference and win a gold medal? That's it. He's done everything else. He's a 17-year-old. 
the last Canadian 17-year-old to have 17 points was Eric Lindros in 1991 in Saskatoon and Regina. He's going to beat that. But you don't get a chance in my mind to be talked about in some respects as some others unless you get it done when it matters most. Is he is he having an incredible tournament? Yes. But you know, he didn't get five points against the Czechs. How's he going to do against the Swedes? How's he going to do starting in the quarterfinals? That, for me, I couldn't care less if you didn't get one point in the court, in the round robin as long as you get enough points from everybody else. Show me what you can do when this event's on the line. But he, But he is an incredible talent. Oh, is that one thing too with his junior career? You know, um, this is kind of your your chance if you're Conor Bedard to show how you rise to the occasion in the big games, unless something special happens in Regina, because they just don't look like they have the kind of team that's that's going to be one that pushes to go deep. So for him to leave kind of a lasting impression at the junior level, does it kind of have to be done here? Yeah, this is it. This is it. And he has a chance if he continues to maybe have the greatest 17-year-old tournament of all time. You know, Wayne Gretzky had 17 points as a 16-year-old in 1978. You know, Sidney Crosby didn't have 17. Connor McDavid didn't have 17. They're pretty good at the sport. In their 17-year-old year, in their second and final go-around at it. This guy's doing some pretty amazing things. And if he does carry it off and Canada wins the gold medal and he's a massive part of it, and he will be if they do, then it might go down for me, Sean, as one of the greatest tournaments that Canadians ever had. Well, you know, to your point, Sean, about, you know, Bedard leaving his mark at, at, at this level, I mean, he's he's got, you know, pretty good chemistry with, with uh, Stankoven at the moment. I mean, you know, maybe they end up... Uh, you know, maybe they end up at the Memorial Cup together. I mean, if, uh, you know, if John Paddock was here, maybe I'd ask him about it. Yeah, I mean, we've heard them be pretty definitive there. Is, is that your feel, too? Because that's kind of the question for everyone, Peter. Is that your feel, too, that he, he finishes in Regina? I mean, you, you have a lot of uh, connections to that organization as well. But it, is that your feel, and do you think that's the right thing? I don't think he's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the right thing? A lot of it for me, and I have these conversations with people in the Western League all the time, including I was at a major annual under-18 event 
used to be known as the Max. Now it's the Circle K Classic. All kinds of Western League scouts and personnel running around. Um, Sean, it's 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 split. You know, I I know people. You know, Bob Torrey comes to mind. Um, you know, Bob truly thinks for your organization, um, it really matters for those guys to always be known as Tri-City Americans. And, and Bob's not alone in feeling that way and selling and recruiting and all of those types of things. Um, I think probably the guy that needs to be asked is the player himself. He's earned the right and done so much for the league and I sense that you know, buildings are going to be even busier when he comes to town after this event is over. That uh, you know, it, it probably depends a lot on him. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, I, I'm always re- reluctant to turn, you know, this particular podcast into the you know, the Connor Bedard show, but at the same time, I mean, that is that is the topic. That is, you know, he's he's forcing his way into the conversation, you know, every week with it, with his play. You know, it's it, in the fact that he tied, you know, Eberly tonight, and that's a comparison we've made on this show. I mean, Again, back to, to to you know, you know the the Pats and you know Regina. I mean, what is that? Is that a silly comparison? Because you know, to compare Eberly to Bedard. I mean, you know, I, I think in hindsight, most folks would have probably traded Eberly away and, and recouped some assets for, uh, for for that organization. But I mean, is it, these players are kind of apples and oranges at this point. I mean, what do you think? Well, it's it's a great question. I'm not even honestly sure how to answer it because it's very similar in some respects. But remember, one guy, one guy did it at the World Junior, and he played through his 19-year-old season in the Western Hockey League. We're not seeing this guy after this year. So those are so that to me is a great separator in terms of the type of talent that we're talking about and that's not listen I've been a massive I told Jordan Everly one night at a Western Hockey League banquet that you know if if I had been in Ottawa and close enough to him in 2009 I probably would have hugged him and kissed him right on the cheek um, so I've been a big fan for a long time you know I mean I don't even know like I'll ask both you guys this: What, like, with some of what's already gone on in the Western League with the trades for, you know, people who have moved already, and some very key people, like, what would you have to give up? Do you have to give up your rank? <laughs> hey, Winnipeg might be in the market for that. Well, that's a good, that's that's a good point by you. That's very funny, Chad. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny, and he would help them. I mean, yeah, 
the things that I think are part of the reason for not trading him are not things that you can accommodate in a trade. You know, the the value to your franchise that is, I mean, the perceived value anyway, and having the next great generational talent coming through your franchise and being associated with your franchise, having your name announced when he's picked first overall from the Regina Pats, you know, uh, the, all the highlights being in your jersey, all those types of things. Um, the Those values, I don't think, are ones that will change if you throw three or four or five or six first-round draft picks in the mix. No, they aren't. So if that's why Regina's making this decision, it won't really matter what you offer, ultimately. No. You know, no. Does, would it give them an opportunity to potentially build a championship team in a couple of years? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but there are not a lot of teams that you know, that's why I asked you guys that question. Like, what like, what could you give? Well, and I, that's why, you know, the value of this is at a different level to that, right? Of course you want to win a championship. But if every year you're the, the best 19-year-olds in your league are getting a couple first-round picks and a pile of prospects, like you said, what do you give? You give five? You get five picks? You give, you know... Is it something beyond the Braden Shen Cody Eakin trade? But it, ultimately, does that even matter? Because how many guys are there in history like this to get associated with your franchise that way? You know, there's Sidney Crosby and Ramuski. There's Connor McDavid and Erie. There's Lindros and Oshawa. It, it's a very finite number, right? So yeah, to, and guess and in guess that group. And guess what league you didn't mention? Mm-hmm. Because, yes, you could make an argument there's never been one. Well, and the, you know, the, we've been comparing him to, to Lindros already, and he's going to catch, catch that, you know, record tonight, but, or, or this, this tournament. But, you know, the, the Lindros trade comes to mind. And, you know, at that point you have picks and prospects and established players and millions of dollars of cash and then that is what really tipped the scales and, and, and pushed it through. And, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't think they knew that Peter Forsberg was going to be who he was at, at the time. But, you know, at our level, you know, now you have – you've kind of chipped away at moving prospects altogether. I mean, this guy's even a prospect as far as that goes and the, and the, and the, the uh, trade restrictions we have now. And there's only so many picks. I think we've – I think we've put some OHL style res- restrictions on, you know, you can't mm-hmm. trade your 20, 30 picks yet or anything along those lines. We're obviously, 20, 30. If, if, if we're, if we're sending cash around, it's, it's certainly under the table. I mean, it, 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 it's, there's only, there's only so many ways you can, you can a- attack this thing. I mean, you know, as a, as you know, it's not a football podcast, obviously, but as a Kansas city chiefs fan, this is the thing we talk about sometimes. What, what is, what is Mahomes worth? You know what? What would it take to get Patrick Mahomes in a trade? Is that is that ten firsts? I mean, it's 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 apples and oranges, obviously, but it's kind of a. I mean, some of these guys are just there's there's no way to to, to value them properly. 
There isn't. In this case, there isn't. And there certainly isn't right now, today. Because it's just added another massive layer. Just because you have seen them, um, you know, seen the development, seen what they've turned into, you have a front row seat to watch Connor McDavid quite a bit. Uh, you saw him grow up. You saw, you know, is it possible to compare Bedard to the Crosby's, no. David's? Like, do you see them in that in that light at all? Uh, I haven't. Prior to recently, you know, the one thing I will just say about Connor Bedard is this. He might have the best shot to score of a 17-year-old I've ever seen in my life, ever. His ability to shoot it, change hand, change angles, make plays. I mean, his hands are absolutely magnificent. Might be as good a set of hands as I've ever seen, but you know, he doesn't have Connor McDavid attributes in terms of you know, you're not going to leave everybody in the dust where McDavid can just flat out completely take games over. This, this guy's probably, even though they're different players... Yeah, I, Sean, it's an awesome question, and I've seen them all, and I've, like you said, I've seen them all develop. But I also know a lot can happen. You know, he's seventeen, and and I see I see areas in his game that you know are 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 somewhat concerning. Before this tournament. I'm probably going to be pretty definitive on I just don't see him in that same vein. I am starting to feel a little different. Listen, I told I told some buddies, including my best buddy, Kelly Rempel, when I watched Connor or Connor Bedard in the bubble, remember in the 24-game season, mm-hmm. and I watched Braden Yeager of the Moose Jaw Warriors. I when I when I thought about projecting going forward at that point in time, I don't know. I didn't see I saw different players, but the way and you've seen them a lot, Sean, you know, Jagger can do a lot of things. And and I kind of the first you know in the bubble, he was fifteen two, and I thought, oh my goodness, this guy might be the next coming of Nathan McKinnon. How he skates and shoots the puck and releases it, you know, pretty responsible. Bedard's level, I I'm not sure I even saw it getting to this point, and that's being as honest as I can be. I think for me that. The- the viewings I've seen of him, it's not even that he controls a game the way that you expect some superstars to, because there's some like franchise guys where it's just, you feel like the game runs through him, but it's that 
it's the explosiveness that out of nowhere all of a sudden he's got two or three points uh, and and the game has changed you know what I mean it's that yes I do I completely do and and the first time I saw it was at the world under 18 and you know that that spring in 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 Texas he blew me away because he's a double underage and that was the first guy to be in that position since Connor McDavid did it, you know, and helped Canada win a gold medal when when he was a 15-year-old in that same event in 2013. And but that's this guy this guy can make something out of nothing. And and listen, I've seen a couple of games that he's played in Calgary this last couple of years where the team was terrible, they got blown out, and he had a couple of good moments. But he didn't leave the rink thinking, oh my goodness, he completely took over the game and nobody could deal with him. But you're right, it is. He, he has... He has quick strike ability that maybe I've never seen before. Shifting a little bit, but sort of in the same ballpark, you and I had the pleasure of getting to watch a guy who's been uh, speculated as a potential... And, and the Western League has been very thrifty about handing out uh, exceptional player status, but the speculation has been that... Uh, maybe a, a future consideration could come for Landon DuPont of Edge Academy, who we saw at the Rocky Mountain Classic when we were working with 810 Live, and a really special player. From what you've seen of him, I mean, it's early. Do you see uh, him being someone that could challenge that and, and try to be the, the next guy? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, now, unfortunately, as you know, he broke his wrist in the final of that Rocky Mountain Classic. He's just, he's returned. Um, as a 13-year-old, I truly believe, Sean, and I don't think you'll disagree, he'd be the number one pick in May if he was available. For me. And, and it wouldn't even, at this point, from what I've seen... Mm-hmm. He actually, he reminds me a little of Kale McCarr. Except he's way better at 13 than Kale was. Now, Kale has become the next coming of Robert Gordon Orr, for my liking, as an old-timer. Um, you know, he does now in the NHL what he used to do in Brooks, which I never fathomed, you know, that anybody could do. But he's doing it. This kid's vision, skating ability, intelligence, playmaking skills, his ability to control the back, game from the back, he was incredible in that event. He was the best guy there for me, and not even close by the time it was over. And as you know, Sean, there's a lot of other really good players. Well, and... And that's an event normally dominated by the players who are one year older than he is at a time when an age, 
one year of development makes a massive difference. And the other incredibly impressive thing about him, and, and I think is a little underrated, is that he is as dominant as he is without getting the kind of ice time that a player like he is would normally get. I think his his father, who's his coach, you know, doesn't go all in and put him in every situation 25, 30 minutes a game the way he could. And, and, and he's still dominating the game to the degree he is. He's not even on the first power play. <laughs> he, in that tournament, didn't get to the first power play until the playoff round. And, in fact, going into the quarterfinals, I said to his dad, who I've come to know really well, and, by the way, was a hell of a Western League player in his day, Mickey DuPont, and might have had a very different-looking career, and it was a good one, and played a lot of pro overseas, and played for Canada a few times at the Spangler, and, you know, at a world championship, and, um, but... Yeah, I said to his dad, like, he might help your power play, you know? Like, he's pretty good. <laughs> and and we had a big chuckle, and, you know, then then there were the quarterfinals, and then they played rank Colonna in the semi, and, you know, then he started trotting them out. Um, but, yeah, he is, uh, he absolutely blew me away. I'm looking forward to watching him. Hopefully he'll be back to 100% by another HN live event, Sean, that we have coming up again in, in Edmonton in, in the middle, third week in January. So, yes, Western Hockey League fans, um, Mr. DuPont coming to an arena near you and maybe sooner rather than later. I hate to keep jumping here. <laughs> Sorry about that, but uh, Chad, but I, I did want to follow up on that note because one of the pleasures we've had by being able to call these events, and you've been going to them for years anyway, is to get to see the, that you know next generation of talent uh, and and see them before they're going to make their impact in the Western Hockey League. As you said, Landon DuPont could be the first overall pick this year if he was in it. He's not. But who, who are some names that come to mind for you? Because we're not that far away from the WHL draft, really. It's only no. a couple months away now. So who are some names in your mind that are going to be in the mix and kind of that top five, top ten? Well, um, you know, it's 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 an interesting year in the sense that unless you've heard different, Sean, and, and maybe you might have, I don't know if there's a complete consensus number one guy. I haven't. And, and I know I haven't, and I haven't really seen a complete consensus number one guy as of yet. Now, you know, I've been lucky enough this year because of that event, and you too, and I've seen a bunch of other games, um, you know, I've seen a pretty good chunk of that age group, at least in Alberta. Um, you know, I really like the, the Boyker kid out of Humboldt. He's a terrific player. Um, Brett Olson, uh, a forward, you know, from St. Albert, who right now is playing in that U18 tournament I mentioned as a 2008, a 14-year-old, and, and doing quite well. Um, you know, my mind isn't my mind isn't really on the Western League draft. No, fair enough. Com completely. I'm I'm thinking of, you know, some other guys. 
Um, you know, there's a kid that plays rank Kelowna defenseman, uh, Verhoff, who I really, really like. Boyker, I heard as well, too, as being a guy that that could very easily end up being that first pick, which would be something. Um, you know, doesn't happen often from that Saskatchewan Double uh, A league, but when well, he when he was put up against the the elites uh, from the academy teams, he matched them stride for stride. That humble team's a good team, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, had they been in a different pool, uh, things might have been a little bit different. But they acquitted themselves very well, and you know, his dad was 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 a good junior and a tremendous university player at the University of Saskatchewan and coaches his son and on that humble team and he might be as close Sean for me as anybody I saw in that event um, to being a number a number one type guy yeah that's you know one thing I've always admired about you Pete and I I pump your tires on this every once in a while about, you know, most of the guys in your trade, you know, the, the NHL is always the goal, right? Whether you're a player, a broadcaster, equipment guy, anything, right? And and you've made it, you know, a, a couple times even, but you still follow our league. You still, you know, call games in these in these uh, these Bantam tournaments, and that's you know the thing I've always admired about you is your your dedication to the game, really at at all levels. I mean, a lot of guys once they make it to the you know the heights that, that you've achieved, kind of you know sometimes you're too cool for for those of us that are still back here in, in our league, and and uh, you know you, uh, you you really spread it out across all all the levels of our game, Pete. And I, I love that about you. Well, thanks, Chad. I really appreciate it, and um, I love it. And and frankly, you know, my favorite thing about hockey and a lot of sports is is the journey to get to those places. And you know, I, I spend a lot of time at at rinks, and you know, the one thing that not traveling anymore as part of the Flames radio group because we haven't done that since COVID is it's allowed me to, you know, really dig in again to, you know, whether it's guys U18, U17, obviously, you know, the U15 category is a massive one. Um, I love the game. I love the game at all levels. I, I, thoroughly 100% enjoy the women's game um, I love it and uh, I probably enjoy that stuff at this point more than anything else and I you know Sean and I have known one another for a long time and you know I think I think he knows that to be true oh yeah I I I love the game, and I love the game at all levels. And frankly, Chad, um, you know, while I'm very, very proud of, you know, finding my way in the NHL and and being here, you know, at this level, it's a business. And I don't always enjoy that part of it, to be frank. Um, And our business overall at, at many levels is, 
turned into, you know, a very I, I, me, self-branding, look at me, look at me, and I probably don't play that game well enough, in all sincerity, but I got into this business in 1984 because of my love of sports, and to be honest, yes, did I want to do all the things that I wanted to do? Absolutely. But I tell people all the time, and it's the truth. I have every bit as much fun, maybe more fun at this point, calling U15 or U18 or whatever as I do the NHL. Well, it's it's evident. I mean, I get to work with you when, you know, on the occasion springs that we do, and it's evident that uh, your passion for that is as strong uh, if not more so as you say as as every, anything you do your preparation is the same your passion is the same you're not just doing it to fill time uh, it, that's very clear and and you know that love of sport even goes beyond hockey I mean you're you're staying up till three in the morning watching softball games internationally so it's it's a it's a passion that's uh you know very infectious and and it leads to things that are pretty fun like for example you know not that the result was what the team that you broadcast for would have hoped for the other day but you see a, a young man you know in Stuart Skinner who you would have watched play oh. at the U15 level who yes. you got to call in Swift Current because you got yourself there in a unique circumstance with access and broadcast his championship win in our building on television You've been there for some of his biggest moments along the way, and then you get to see him absolutely, you know, rob an NHL team blind the other night and and has secured himself a spot as a starting goaltender in the NHL at a young age. I mean, you see that journey and the steps of it and being, you know, being a part of it the whole way because you're still taking part in those other levels. It's my favorite part. It's my favorite part about what I'm lucky enough to get a chance to do. Um, you know, I remember I remember Stu helping, you know, Southside Athletic Club and a great team, you know, in U15 when then the Western Canadian Bantam Championship. And I was actually lucky enough, Sean, um, it wasn't a great night for Stuart. But I was in Calgary the night he made his Western Hockey League debut with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to meet him, and um, you spend a ton of time with him. He's a fabulous young person. He's got a great family. That's And, and the one thing I always tell people, and, I, and I, I've said this lots to Sean, but I'll say it to the listeners and to you, Chad, you know, it... The other thing that's fascinating, too, especially in those years when, you know, I did the Memorial Cup for eight years and was, you know, I guess the number one play-by-play voice of the CHL, at least nationally, the relationships that you make in junior or leading into junior, guys never forget. You know, I... Guys I work with sometimes, um, they laugh because I had a situation a couple years ago where 
I'm standing with my two co-workers at the radio station, and Tampa's in town, and Steve Stamkos walks in the rink, and he makes a beeline over to shake my hand. And the other two guys are looking at me like, what is that? Well, what that is is, you know, I remember watching him because I was living in Ontario at the time as a member of the, you know, U16 Markham Waxers team that also featured Cody Hodgson and Michael Delzato. And then, you know, obviously did a top prospect scheme. And that's that's where you make relationships. It, it really, you know, those, those guys, they don't forget that stuff. I have better relationships and, you know, I joke with some people sometimes and I'm not sure... Now, the world's changed because of COVID, and we don't travel anymore, but there's been times where I joke with my friends that I'm not sure some of the Flames would know me in a police lineup. And and those are guys that have, you know, in some cases, been around for a long time. Like, they know you're around, but do they know who you are and what you do? And it's different. The business. Yeah. Well, we've... We've kept you for a long time, Peter, but, you know, kind of to bookmark where we, we started, you mentioned that um, you're, you're, you're working on plans to catch the, the tail end of this, this World Junior Tournament. You know, I, I know you go to, you know, a, a lot of games like we talked about, Max Tournament, whatever, but, um, you know, when was the last time you got to go to a hockey game, especially at this kind of level, as a fan, as to take it in, you're not working, you're not, you're not necessarily studying the prospects and and, and, and taking notes like a scout. I mean, I, I assume you're you're gonna, if you make it out there, you're gonna go as a fan. I mean, what 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 what's that experience like for, for a guy in your shoes? Well, I, you know, it's it's awesome. Um, you know, when I go to Halifax or even. You know, this summer at the World Junior in Edmonton, which I shared with my son, and fortunately he's not a huge sports fan necessarily, but he's caught the World Junior bug, and he's a massive Oiler fan, which is, can't fix that, unfortunately. Um, Great taste. Great taste. Yeah, 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 I knew that was coming. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's, Chad, I take every opportunity I can to watch my country play sports. I went to three qualifying games um, for Canada's soccer team. I go to everything, and would I always like to be part of it as a broadcaster? Yes. The one that I'm only going to have one thing, I think, when my career is over that I didn't get a chance to do, and I, I got close. I called a Team Canada World Junior pre-tournament game, and Orlando, Switzerland, leading into the 2004 tournament, way back when, but never called the World Junior. And uh, but outside of that, I'm going to go there with my son. Um, we're going to hopefully have a great time, and uh, I will have no trouble being a very vociferous fan, and make no apologies for it when I sit in the stands like everybody else. You're the you're, you're the new Scott Moore, right? The, the new Scott Moore. 
when uh at the olympics when uh the 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 figure skater when he was it was like eight in the morning and they were the canadian uh hockey team was playing and he was just in the in the in the stands like everybody else i remember that i remember that being a, a fun moment i can't remember what olympics it was but yeah no i uh it does you're right it doesn't happen and you know, there there isn't a hockey game I ever watch where I'm not kind of taking notes or, you know, certainly in my melon, always keeping track and doing those kind of things. But no, I uh, I'll have a team Canada something or other on probably, and I I'm just excited to to share the tradition with my son. It's uh, it's really special for me, and it was his Christmas present, so. Um, hopefully the travel gods make it okay and now the team just has to make sure they get to the semifinals well if we needed an extra reason to cheer for Canada this year we've got one so thank you for that Peter and thank you so much for for being so generous with your time as you always are guys always a pleasure enjoy it Um, you, you two continue to do good things for the game and the level, and I'm glad that uh, I had some time and and we could connect, because I don't know if Chad and I can ever watch a Canada-US game together. That might be a little dangerous, but uh, (laughs) I I enjoy his passion um, for his nation in this sport, and I I completely appreciate it. It's... uh, it's it's a beautiful thing, um, and and frankly, um, I've never kind of I do understand, so I shouldn't say it that way. But I, I, in some ways, I wish Americans appreciated the game more than they do as a collective nation because it's it's a pretty good sport. Yeah, we're we're, we're working on it, but it's you uh, know, I, it's, I, it's you're getting too good at it for my liking, Chad. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm getting pretty sick of you guys, and I have no trouble saying <laughs> that either. I I mark every hockey event one way. Do we finish ahead of red, white, and blue? If we do, I'm good. If we don't, I'm not so good. Yeah, well, like I said, this this group of plumbers, uh, the Americans have, have what assembled are you this year. About I don't this know. Group of plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> have you been watching? It's, it's reverse jinx, I think, is what's happening. That is not even close to being a group of plumbers. I, you guys have never had a group of plumbers. I, I took a I took a half day off of work to watch the uh, the, the, the the game prior the uh, the Slovakia the game. The Slovakia game. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, your your group was like Canada's against the Czechs. You thought you were going to run the circus, and the skill was going to take over and then the work didn't match the skill yeah but i hey listen that is if that is a group of plumbers to you i'd hate to know what the hell a group of real good guys looks like well again that slovakia game aside from not being able to score not being able to defend and not being able to get a save other than that they played pretty well but (laughs) (laughs) well we'll 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 see we'll see i i i I think I think they're an incredibly talented group, but they're young. They're yeah. young. Ne- next year, forget it. Forget I, I, it. I will say, watching the Swiss game today, or watching the first period of it anyway, and and then kind of listening to the rest of it, and I was really frustrated with them. You know, starting out really slow, and then I watched 
you know, Canada do essentially the same thing, you know, three hours later, I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe we're all going through this. Maybe, maybe, maybe the expectations do need to be reeled back a little bit, like we talked about earlier. But well, I was, well you know, and and the other thing about the Americans, which sometimes can bite you, is if you watch the two pre-tournament games, they rolled over two really good teams in Sweden and the Finns. So sometimes that lends itself to some overconfidence the same way it did for Canada. So I do know this. I think they're the two best teams in the event, and they never let us down in terms of games they play against one another, and they won't this time. Well, and you bring up a point earlier, that, you know, Peter, about how the Canadians cannot win their pool, and that's going to that's going to throw the uh, the crossover into a little bit of uh, haywire too. So it's uh, it's it's going to be you know buckle up as they say, right? Yep, buckle up. That's but it's it's what that final four, final five, and in this case with the Czechs and the Swiss have been pretty tough, and you know Slovakia, who knows what might come from there, but it's uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, and it's always fun, and it's already been fun. Well, to and echo Sean's sentiments, I, I really appreciate your time, Peter. It's always it's always fun having you on. It's you know sometimes we got to try to find a reason to do it, you know, with uh, you know with the, the league you cover and the, and the league we cover. But it's uh, it's always fun when there's that that crossover and we get a chance to talk to you. Well, I'm never far away from the other one too far either. So, okay, guys, be well. Thanks for having me.